just a note or maybe even a mint on the pillow and ciao. Hello, hello everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me as always is Zeke Baker and together we make up the Dad's Drink of Bourbon. Thank you very much for stumbling across our podcast or if you're already a subscriber, we thank you even more. Say hello to the folks, Zeke. Aloha. Aloha? What's that mean? Hello and goodbye. So it's simple. You don't have to think too much. Use it either way. Salutation, whatever. And, you know, it's a curveball for people. You're talking about the words like it's a whiskey tasting note. Like, it's very technical what you got in there. No, those are just the thoughts that go through my head when I evaluate what's my go-to word for the day or the week or the moment. I don't like to think too much. Well, the Beatles have a song, Hello, Goodbye. That's kind of both at the same time, too. Uh, The only Beatles thing I I know of any degree was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, but that's a different (laughs) story for a different time. Says the pharmacist. But we are we have a special guest with us here tonight. We are lucky enough. One of our good friends, Ryan Lay, who is in town. You guys might know him from Facebook groups. You might know him from Instagram. We know him because Zeke and I are lucky enough to be on a text chain with him. And I think we talk to Ryan probably more than we talk to our significant others. And there's something wrong with that. A special shout out to our friend Matt, who's on the text chain as well. But Ryan, thank you very, very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Wow, your voice is louder than us. It's, you know, I'm just excited to be here. You're excited to be here? Is it that Chicago accent that you came down? And you brought the cold weather with you this week? You know, this is the first first time it started snowing here, uh, or actually a big snow up in Chicago. And ever since Friday, I've just brought it down on my shoulders. And your accent, right? Not to not to focus on that, because it's, it's somewhat ditka it's somewhat Wisconsin, and and where are you from originally? All right, so I'm I'm right up uh, northwest suburbs of Chicago, so I can literally throw a baseball over and hit Wisconsin. Just venture. I'm about an hour for, south of Milwaukee and about an hour uh, northwest of Chicago, so almost right on the border there. And we actually met you because we're all members of a Facebook group called the Speakeasy Wisconsin. That's where we all first got together. Zeke's a member. I'm a member. Ryan, you're a member. Yep. You kind of have more of that Chicago accent, though, I got to say. Yeah, you know, it's it's growing up around. My whole family's around from Chicago, and it's something that's stuck with me since birth. I would almost say laughably I have a good friend from... He's from one of the Dakotas. I really don't know which one, but he's from one of the two. Don't you know? If I close my eyes, that's the, the thought. Of like, Am I talking to Jeffrey? Like, <laughs> Man, this sounds exactly the same. Like... I don't know what this guy says at the time. Now I know people think about me. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get, we don't have, a, we only have 30 minutes. We can't really get into all of that. But I can tell you that Zeke does get the most stalker fans than me. Nobody is stalking me, but they are all stalking Zeke. I, I, I have nothing to say to that. But Ryan, tell us a little bit before we get into what we are drinking here tonight. Tell us how you got into bourbon. I mean, you you are a pretty big fan. You do have a lot of good stuff. You know, how do you get into it? What gets you going with it? What things do you like more? Yeah, definitely. So I, I got started with it uh, just because at 14, 15, 16, I actually uh, was stealing out old bottles of uh, Jack Daniels out of my out of my dad's pantry and bringing does, them to does parties. Does he know? 
Oh, he definitely knows now because he actually just moved two years ago. And so as he's cleaning out the pantry, those weren't there anymore. Wait, so it had been 15 years until he realized that they weren't there anymore or 16 years? Every bit of 15 years, just because he had said that he had had these bottles back there. And these are the old Jack Daniels bottles with the tax strips on them. I was just taking them to parties and just mixing them with Coke. (laughs) all during my high school days and giving it out to everybody and that was how i got started loving whiskey is probably drinking some of the better stuff that was out there that i didn't even know about well you're very fortunate that's how you got started to loving whiskey because it's taken me a good 10 15 years to be able to touch wild turkey again after my high school days but everybody says that there are people that we talk to that all have bad wild turkey experiences. I don't know what's going on with that. But the bigger question I have is were those bottles open before you started pouring out of them? None of them were opened. And, I opened them all. And your dad wasn't going to touch them until right now, right? No. Yeah. So what happened was um, I drank all of these bottles. I think there was a good six or seven different Jack Daniels bottles with different tax strips on them. They were all from him and my grandfather. He had just gotten back into whiskey once I had become of age and it was able to go out and take him to different uh, tasting events. Now, there's a cool one up in Madison, Wisconsin called the Still America. So that's kind of where we had started going together and gotten interested in trying a lot of the higher end bourbons. And once once we had done that, he started asking questions and started looking through the pantry. And next thing you know, he realizes that there are absolutely no bottles left. And it's only bottles at the time when I was living with him or with my parents that uh it was only my bourbon that was available to him now did you refill did you pull one of those things where you you poured it out you gave it to people and then you refilled his bottles up with something else no i knew that if if he knew that they were they were refilled i felt like i was going to get in bigger trouble on that one i figured it was always better to ask for forgiveness than it was permission So knowing what you know now and knowing what you probably could trade those for, do you wish you had them so you could drink them now or do you wish you had them more because you could trade them for other things at this point? The one thing I do wish I would have checked or or at least held off drinking those is to see if if any of the bottles that he had were age dated or were manufactured in 87 because that's my birthday. So that is the only thing that I'm like, man, I'm wondering if any of the ones I drink just willy nilly mixing with Coke that were actually in my birth year. I just want to think you did. Yeah, that I, I think one of those bottles was from 87. What do you think, Zeke? Uh, you know, CGF 87's out there. Pay your dues and uh, suck it up and, and even embrace the turkey again. Oh, turkey. <laughs> Am I the only one here that likes turkey? No, I do too. I, I, honestly, it, it took me a long time and... and laughably behind the scenes and over the past couple of days we, we've we've had turkey among other things as we've been tasting random things ryan always seems to get a look of of a turn in him that he hasn't quite cleared bad turkey memories i would say i haven't accepted the turkey yet the only ones that i really get excited for are the ones in thanksgiving that are stuffed it's stuffed exactly ryan was actually talking about a tasting event called distill america now zeke you got to go to a tasting event last week i was not able to go to this with you let's talk about that a little bit because the good folks at diageo did you get their name right when you went to the event by the way i didn't uh, tread on that area so to speak i just skirted around it and said you guys a lot 
So Not even a y'all. It was just, oh, yeah, you guys have these products, right? So the good folks over at Diageo invited both Zeke and I to the Blade & Bow whiskey release event. Now that Blade & Bow is coming to Nashville, I was not able to go. Zeke did get to go. He got to try the regular Blade & Bow along with the 22-year Blade & Bow, and they had some people come talk to you. How was the event? What do you think about it? What do you think about the two whiskeys? We're going to talk more about the regular Blade & Bow, and we'll get into that as we're going to put that in a side-by-side tonight. But talk a little bit about the event, what's coming to Nashville, what's kind of coming out. Blade & Bow is, is increasing their distribution, right? They are, and it was a very nice event, very well staged, very well hosted, great hors d'oeuvres, great cocktails. There were three featured ones. The one that stood out the most it had a plum component to it, which I thought was pretty novel and not to ramble on, but it, it was an interesting curveball. I haven't seen too much in bourbon-based cocktails, but it was good. Old-fashioned other things. And they John, did send us those recipes, so we will put them out next week when we put this podcast up. Uh, but it was a, a super nice event. I happened to be there with Tarak from Elixir, so it's always fun to share pours with someone that you trust their palate and opinions on, maybe even more so than your own, but at least you have someone to, to double-check yourself on what you think you smell or taste. Well, I know I trust his opinions more than I trust yours so you know that's two votes for us on Tarak. ryan do you trust Tarak or zeke more depends if we're talking will it it's zeke all day <laughs> everything else you have Tarak. will it you have zeke yeah everything else i don't know if i go that far he's got a good palate Tell us more. You were tasting with Tarak. You got to have the 22. You got to have the regular. You guys had some cocktails. They had appetizers. Nice event put on by the good folks at Diageo. We did very, like I say, very nice. And it was essentially to announce that Nashville was the next market they were launching to. They've been very strategic in launching and want to go to markets where obviously they'll be successful, but also be able to have enough product to satisfy the market, but not necessarily inundate it. The, the main message that I was able to take away from it is that their goal is to be somewhat of an everyday rare, which, you know, that's essentially having your cake and eating it too. But it is an interesting niche to try and find and fill in the bourbon world as there are more secondary sites, more allocations, regions having certain things available, others don't. We all see it every day that various products that are available here aren't where Ryan is, aren't in Texas, aren't left coast, and it's just something we all deal with and see. Did you not originally have Blade & Bow? Is this the first release? No, it's it's not been here, which is funny to me at least because I got a bottle a year and a half ago. Kentucky's not far up the road for us. Right. I've seen it on shelves at a store I go to there from time to time ever since. And we even had that conversation at some point with some of their people of, how are you this late to Nashville? I mean, Tennessee is a, a very wide state. We're horizontal. Almost every bit of half of Tennessee, so to speak, borders Kentucky. So how do you have a product that's freely available there, yet not available here? Well, and, and I don't want to get us on a tangent because there's probably going to be plenty of people that are saying, hey, you're 15 minutes into the show and you haven't talked about whiskey, but this is all whiskey adjacent conversation, right? I think Tennessee with the Tennessee Whiskey Trail, the thing that kills me about that is that, you know, Kentucky is a very whiskey forward state. 
Tennessee is a very whiskey forward state, but they don't always share allocations across the two of them. If you're going to release something in Kentucky, you should probably release it in Tennessee as well because the markets just kind of go together. You have similar clientele, you have similar things there. I don't understand why a Kentucky only release doesn't extend to Tennessee and a Tennessee only release doesn't extend to Kentucky. And and again, yeah, to beat the dead horse, but that was the consensus in the room, especially with a product that's admittedly targeted toward millennials. I don't know of a more happening city in the past two to three years than Nashville. More youth, more people. Young professionals growing businesses here. You got a lot of people that are in their 20s and 30s that are starting families. They're coming here. They're buying houses. They're renting apartments if they're millennials because supposedly millennials don't buy houses anymore. I think a lot of the marketing that says, and I'm not talking about marketing and all sorts of whiskey marketing, but when you market towards millennials, I think millennials are very difficult to market to because everybody wants to pin down this you know, style that a millennial does. And I don't think there is any consensus to how millennials act and that's what they want. No, they're fickle people by nature. We've grown up to that. I mean, Ryan, you're a millennial. You you give us the millennial take. You are our senior millennial correspondent. As far as millennials are concerned, I think it's one of these things where when we talk about bourbon, you you guys do a great job of that. Is what's what is worth the price point that you're buying at? You know, we're going to go through what we're tasting and blade and bow and what that price point is and what's available. I think marketing does play a little bit of a role into what someone will buy, but I think that will only go towards that first bottle as opposed to a rebuy. We'll see how it how it plays out for years to come. And to that note with millennials, I mean, remember when I was in school, I caught massive grief because anytime I was in charge of a keg, I just bought a Pabst. Cheapest one they had, I didn't care. Yeah. It was game day or some other social event, and we were all just drinking. Nobody cared what it tasted like. I graduate, I come back two or three years later, Pabst is trendy now. That's what the kids like. I'm like, you serious? I, I, I got completely beat up for thinking this is what I should buy. And, you know, after once, I don't think they ever asked me to buy a keg again. So that There's being nothing said, wrong with a PBR keg. As long as, as long as it's cold, I you know, I'm drinking but, it. Yeah. Well, granted, one of my best friends did always say no two paps taste alike, and that was the best part of them. You never know what you're going to get. So it's like a single barrel beer. Exactly. (laughs) But to that point, obviously, plenty of millennials are not overly spending their money. So depending on the price point you come in at, can you say that's who you're targeting? Millennials aren't getting paid what their parents got paid. And I know that technically I am a millennial. I kind of rebel against it because I didn't have a cell phone in high school. And if you didn't have a cell phone in high school, I don't think you could technically be a millennial. But for me, 84, they say millennial starts at 84. But I think you kind of, it depends on what year you graduated high school. And that's what I think they need to go off of. I know Zeke's an old man. He's not technically a millennial, but, uh, you know, I don't, really? I just don't feel, yeah. Our class of 2000s were the millennials. No, no, you were the Y2Ks. Uh, no one knew what a cell phone was back then. It was a pager at best, and that had involved a payphone. We had dial up internet. We had to call up people's parents and ask if we could talk to a girl. Like th- those experiences are not necessarily what all millennials had to experience luckily i caught that on the tail end i had dial up at one point and then only got a cell phone finally you know i had the original cell phone with the snake what was it nokia yeah Yeah. and and i love that you could put the the different cases on the front but we're gonna digress all night talking about this stuff zeke you talked about how 
Blade and Bone wants to be the everyday rare. We decided to put up what we think is the everyday rare right now, and that's Weller Special Reserve. Reason being that Weller Special Reserve is something you can't always get some places unless you're in Texas because they have a great deal with Buffalo Trace. It comes around Nashville probably twice a year, and it's sold out within a couple days of being in the stores. So unless you know it's coming or unless you get a tip, it's very rare that we're finding Weller Special Reserve here in Nashville. Right, Zeke? Very true. And friends I have in other areas all experience the same difficulty. It's just sad that something that common, that simple, that amazing of a price at a bottle, literally half the time if you want one, you may have to go to secondary and pay double just to have it. And let's talk a little bit about Blade and & Bow and, and Weller Special Reserve, and then we will get into the tasting. Blade & Bow is 45.5 ABV. It's 91 proof. It was made as basically a dedication to the craftsmanship of the Stitzelweller distillery. So they, they wanted to do something to pay homage to that distillery. That's where Bullet is being made now. But Diageo actually ages most of its North American whiskey at the Stitzelweller distillery today. The six-sided design of the Blade & Bow bottle is to honor the five key ways of doing things when it comes to crafting bourbon. They left one side for labeling, but there is a very unique way, Zeke, that they actually age these. They use the Solera aging method. It is fractional blending. There are five barrels. One of the barrels contains partial Sitzelweller juice, and then basically what they do is they combine barrel one into barrel two into barrel three into barrel four into barrel five and then they fill up those other barrels as they go through. By putting all that stuff together, none of them are less than six years old. The final product ends up being Blade & Bow. One of the things I explained about the Solera method, which I actually hadn't had clarified for me before, I guess it's maybe common knowledge, but of all the barrels, you never take more than a third out of any barrel when either transferring or pulling to bottle. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting as far as that's a you know a decent amount but someone at some point years ago decided this is enough to pull but also enough to leave so there's always a trace of the the previous generations so to speak the only other one i know that uses the solera aging method is hill rock right i i don't know of others that really publicize doing i think that. it's bigger in a non-bourbon space but yeah hill rock does that um they have a really good product as well. We did have it back when we were just doing Instagram Lives. We did have Hill Rock. Do we share that one with Tarak at some point too? I share a lot with him on Wednesdays. I know. We share a lot. <laughs> him and Justin, we, we end up sharing a lot with. It should be said the 22-year-old Blade & Bow. I do know the mash bill for that one is about 15% rye somewhere in the vicinity of seven to ten percent malted barley and then the rest is corn i don't know the mash bill for the 45 percent abv 91 proof release well that i have it, to assume it's somewhat of the same right that in itself is, is interesting because there's blatantly a lot of stitzel weller references marketing wise it's, it's no hidden secret that's where they are. That's what they're using. And I wouldn't say that someone's trying to mimic the juice. They understand how much weight that name carries in today's society with bourbon people. I mean, I don't blame them. It's like if you bought Ford out, you'd tell everybody, I own Ford. This is Ford. Yeah, but, I, you know, even to go, go further onto that, I actually took the Bullet Tour, and that is something that they hit hard on, that this is Pappy's warehouse that we are keeping our barrels at, because I believe they don't actually distill there at the time that I took uh, the tour. 
But no, that is something marketing wise that they they are telling every person that walks through their doors. You know, I think that's tough because as we're talking about different things that are going on in whiskey, I mean, we even talk about it in Pappy circles that Pappy's Stitzelweller juice ran out. It is no longer Stitzelweller and now it is Buffalo Trace. So is this the last bastion of Stitzelweller? Whatever percent of that Stitzelweller that is in the bottle, you know, is this the last place you can get it? Last I heard out of the marketing for blade and bow is that the 22 year is actually some proportion of Stitzelweller juice is that's what it's been touted and that is pretty much the last place you can get it right now and they are stretching using that Solera method they're stretching that into other things it is $50 for the 91 proof it is going to be about $150 for the 22 year Comparing that to the Weller Special Reserve, which is going to be 90 proof, and it's going to come in. Some places are 23 bucks, some places are 27. But when you put all of that together, it is a very rare find at half the price, right? So the the only thing that I can think of that we can do is then compare these. I agree on everything, but it's sad. It's a rare find is all I will say. It, it shouldn't be, and we all get that. So it's seven years, say it's seven years and $23. I mean, you're not going to find age statements. The closest thing you have to that is Heaven Hill six-year bottle and bond for 11 to $15. Obviously, going into this, we're going to think that the value play is going to be that Weller Special Reserve. We're not necessarily going to blind ourselves today. We're going to do things a little bit different, but we're going to come back, talk about the taste profiles between these, the nose and the finish and get to a consensus on what our number one everyday rare is. We might talk about some other ones we have as well. So, Zeke, roll the tape. So we're back. We have fast-forwarded through time. Ryan, Zeke, and I had a chance to nose, sip, and get the finish on these. Let's start guests first. Ryan, go ahead and tell us about your experience. You don't necessarily have to rank them yet, but just tell us about your nose, your taste, and your finish. So I'll start with the Weller Special Reserve. Uh, right off the bat, right when I had nosed the Glencairn here, I had gotten a little bit of caramel and um, a lot of... When I, when I drink uh, Weller Special Reserve, I get a lot of floral notes on the end. On the palate, I had gotten a little bit of that weededness touch of caramel it was a little thin for me uh, on that sense but a lot of floral at the end pinch of cinnamon just at the end very end and then for the blade and bow thin caramel i got some leather cologne right on the nose and on the the palate it was corn heavy right in the front it felt like if you were to throw and caramelize something in a pan it, it caramelized and then right back to it finished with corn i uh, got a little bit of floral notes but it wasn't anything real prevalent in it you got cologne yeah i got a little bit of cologne it was the little leather was it was it brute or was it something it was like a belt leather if you've ever licked one <laughs> do you want to tell us about something <laughs> Like, no, Chris Berman. What you talking about, leather? Yeah, you're with me, leather. Oh, yeah, was that the line he dropped. Damn, I missed it. Yeah, you're with me, leather. There's a great sports blog out there. You're with me, leather, because of that. Really? Yeah, I didn't. Mine. I actually didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So Zeke, what do you get on these? Blade and Bow, I, I found very interesting um, at the tasting event without having anything to compare it to or a side by side, etc. I, I really thought initially and can continuously that both the nose palette um and and what finishes there were very similar which you know it's interesting considering they're a different mash bill but we've seen other products that don't feature wheat but 
feature a wheated taste profile and that's a different story or discussion for a different day even nosing these now i i can move them around they're still the same taste in them they're very similar i think most people have had you know special reserve i'll, I'll bypass that for the interest of time with the blade and bow nose wise I, I thought it went from a cinnamony to honey to sweetness i would say i went 50 50 between big red and juicy fruit more big red beginning more juicy fruit in the back palette wise it's thin but you know it's in the 90s you, you can't expect much substance thickness or oil to build up from anything of that proof there there wasn't enough rye spice i wouldn't say really know it was there but that was the only really discrepancy i picked up to tell me this is not the same thing as special reserve other than that i thought nose front to back finish these really mimic each other pretty closely surprisingly i thought palette wise it was candyish and the the note i wrote down was if you've got the variety pack of gummies this would be a gold and red gummy you're not going for jelly beans you're going for the gummies jelly beans again another story from the day but I, I like that palette wise but no this would be a gold to red gummy worm through and through you you, you put these side by side all day and if anyone day. out there is listening from the jelly belly corporation or another jelly bean corporation zeke is looking for sponsorships he really thinks that we could use jelly beans to hone our palate so reach out to us dad bourbon at gmail.com we'd like to start a trend here oh no i'm saving this for the show i, I am 100 percent on the jelly belly taste your palate trend well if jelly belly wants to send us some jelly beans and then we will figure it out that doesn't hurt too finish wise and uh Speaking more metaphorically, so to speak, I would equate this relationship to no good morning kiss, just a note on the pillow. Did you leave the note or did you receive the note? Did you like that you only got a note? Are you going to call this person again? Like, does the note say, hey, I'm going to get breakfast, I'm coming back? Did you get a number? I think that statement speaks in and of itself pretty well. You you can take what you want from it, but again... I'm just left with questions. Th there was no kiss in the forehead... Just a note or maybe even a mint on the pillow and ciao. Zeke is with high class people that leave mints on his pillow. John, we all didn't go to school in Kentucky where you woke up with a hickey and you felt proud. <laughs> Symbol of proud right there. Just It was a good night last night. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I will keep all my comments about Georgia to myself right now. For me, I'm going to go in here. I started off with the Weller Special Reserve like Ryan. Surprisingly enough, I don't get anything memorable on the nose. It's a it's sweet. I get a little bit of astringency in there on the nose, but it's, it's very sweet to me. Nothing that's really memorable from it either. Taste, I can't get over how smooth the beginning of the taste of a Weller Special Reserve is. It's just one of those things that as soon as you have it, it's got a very distinct signature in which it's smooth on the front end. And then I get that burn and tingle mid palate. And then the back end of it for me, I said it's spicier than it's given credit for. When people talk about Weller Special Reserve, I do think it has a little bit of a kick for 90 proof. It's not something that's going to floor you, but it's got that little taste. And, and I don't think a lot of people give it credit. They say it's a smooth weeder. and Like a rye? You get a rye out of it? Not a rye, but just a, a little bit of spice, like a baking spice. It's, it's a little bit of a tingle, not a not a rye, but just a little bit of a, hey, I'm here. Maybe it's someone who's not cuddling with you, but they're holding hands on the couch, to use a Zeke analogy. 
It's not a, a full-on cuddle, but it's a, it's a holding hands. I get that. Yeah. Let you know you're here. Millennials don't hold hands, John. They gave that up. Oh, so I don't know that. I'm not cool. Uh, Blade and Bow for me, the nose was sweet citrus. It was spicy and dry on the taste on the front. And then I got full on cookie on the back. That was at least for me. It was dry and spicy. It was almost like I was having a wine finished bourbon on the front. It was just dry for me. And it probably made me want to drink a lot of water this episode. On the finish, I said it was dry and a medium finish. It was didn't linger too long it wasn't too short it was like a goldilocks that being said and i'm gonna shut up i I know i do too much talking on these but ryan what do you think out of the everyday rare do you think that blade and bow can take that space do you think it's hard to go ahead and beat something like a weller special reserve or do you think there's something else there that you would put as your everyday rare over these so in chicago it is everywhere in every other store that i walk into it's on the shelf and there's two or three right behind that first one eagle rare store pick wow you're taking the the name rare pretty literally well you know that's what i gotta do if we're gonna i'm gonna throw down for this any good store pick is a rare for me as well as a single barrel is always going to take the place of a small batch and so with that it's only 30 bucks 35 dollars for an eagle rare store pick or even a uh elijah craig single barrel store pick i mean that's a 30 dollar bottle so to me i you know and it's not the best thing out there but if i'm drinking it every day that's going to be at 90 proof that's what i'm i would rather pick up at a barrel strength, I'm more than likely going with some sort of Four Roses pick that's somewhere local to me. Zeke, what about you? Simply, first of all, from having uh, in-laws in the same vicinity of the uh, Metro Chicago area and having been in at least a few stores to where Stag Jr. is plentiful at 50 to $55, and it's unseen here, even at 60 to 65 depending on where you are, every day can be day and night difference. Uh, just my side note. At, at 50 bucks, it, it's tough. Um, even if you strategically plan out releases, gauge how much your market is selling, and where to try and balance supply and demand, it's sad that $50 is extremely common now. But it's also, if you dive into these things and figure out where you are, where your palate is, and, and who and what you like, it's not by any means what you should spend for anything deemed every day. What about you? I probably wouldn't call this an everyday rare. It's not an everyday sipper for me. When I think of an everyday sipper, I'm probably going for something that's a little smoother, that doesn't have as much spice. So I'm I'm thinking about the Eagle Rares. I'm thinking about Weber Special Reserve. I, I am thinking about good Elijah Craig store pick, or I'm thinking about just something regular Bell Mead, something like that. That is an everyday sipper for me. And a lot of times I like calf strength. So I'll move into something like a wild turkey rare breed if I don't want to go get a store pick. Once I get to that $50 range though, a lot of those everyday sippers that I'm having at the $50 range are going to be a Knob Creek store pick, a Four Roses store pick, a seven. 1992 full store pick so the problem for me with this one and i'm just diageo if you folks are listening that's something that i have an issue with for me when i'm spending 50 bucks and i know i can compare it to those really mainstay store picks that are going to be cast strength i think 
blade and bow to really compete in that they need to think about is everything going to be 90 proof i know that we've talked to some people that proof things at 90 because they think it's more accessible than a 120 but the discerning consumer is going to proof it down i'd rather have something that's going to come in at 120 and then if i want to actually change the proof and hone in at something that i like more i have the flexibility and control to do that millennials would enjoy the ability to do that themselves as well right not be bound to to what the proof is on the bottle, but to be able to change it. But I am never going to proof down a 90. No, no I'd agree there. And again, you have the, the alt sect of millennials, quote unquote, that if they are a bottle, they're going to scoff at it. They're going to say, I can make a better cocktail because I'm smarter. I know how to source out other ingredients, mix it with other things, make it more impressive, more finished, floral, whatever you want to call it. They're going to have the mindset of, no, no, I'm going to buy a $20 fifth of something, add this, this, and this that costs me minimal margins and I have a cocktail that's unique in in and of itself and tastes way better. And even if you think about it, right, like an everyday sipper, depending on where you are and you think about these releases that are highly allocated an everyday rare could be a heaven hill bottle and bond at six years and you know you're going to get 100 proof. Well and how many people drink neat as a regular? Us. Yeah, it, it, it's but, going to be for the enthusiasts, that's for sure. I mean, that's why Jack Daniels is one of the largest distributors of whiskey in the U.S. Because, everywhere. Because well, well, Jack yeah, and Coke. Jack and, I mean, people go, what are you having at the bar? And they go, Jack and Coke. It's not whiskey and Coke, it's Jack and Coke. I always did Makers and Sprite, but that's just me. Well, bourbon and water. I called it Cloudland Iced Tea. We'll end on this note. At $50, I think we're kind of saying it's not an everyday sipper, but at $50, would you buy a bottle of this? It's a sexy bottle to definitely have on your mantle. I think it's a one and done for me just to have up there and get one of the keys because it looks cool. I do like the key thing. Simple things for simple folks, but I do like the key thing. Mm -hmm. Zeke, what about you? Uh, I'm still a pretty cheap person. Uh, I don't mind plain beam. I don't mind uh, inexpensive vodka. And at this point, I don't have anyone to impress coming in my home. For me, I think it's tough. I do have a bottle of Blade and Bow, or I did have a bottle of Blade and Bow that I finished. I think the hardest thing about Blade and Bow for me is saying it. It's a very much a tongue twister if you start trying to say Blade and Bow very quickly. But I did enjoy my bottle. I enjoyed it more as it opened up over time, as I let it open up. I really did enjoy it towards the end of the bottle's life. I spent $50 on it, so it's hard for me to tell you not to go out and spend $50 on it. I kind of look hypocritical there. Ryan, like you, I'm probably a one and done, maybe a two and done. That is going to do it for us. Thank you guys very much for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Bourbon Dads. You can find us on Facebook at Dads Drinking Bourbon. You can find us on Instagram at Dads Drinking Bourbon. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite podcast providers, or you can also find it by going to the link in our Instagram profile. Ryan, where can the folks find you? Uh, so I'm uh, actually on Instagram at RyanLay15. Uh, Zeke, where can the folks also find us? Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Well, that being said, we'll see you all next week. Zeke, you got anything to say to the folks on the way out? Cheers. Aloha. Bye. Bye. Bye.